please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Historian Arthur Schlesinger made a comment that has stuck with me for years. He said that our society is marked by an inextinguishable discontent. That our quest is better, but what's next? We want a better job, better pay, and a better boss. We want better relationships. We need new wives. We need bigger houses, faster cars, newer technology. One more drink, one more joint, one more dollar, one more woman, one more show, one more movie, one more. Just one more is all we need. Just, just one more. P.T. Barnum, Barnum and Bailey Circus, he's on his deathbed. The circus was performing in Madison Square Garden in New York. And on his deathbed, I'll never forget, years ago, reading the comment, he said, how were the receipts tonight in Madison Square Garden? On his deathbed. We're never satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I need something better, faster prettier, more money, something. I need something. I just need. That's, that's the way we live. I just need a little bit more. We need a better backhand in tennis and a longer drive in golf. We, I need this stock to move up some. I need this. I need or want. Most people... Seek contentment in things and possessions. When I say most people, I mean Christians included. Because we know as Christians that true contentment is found in Christ. But you have to understand that Paul is writing from prison here. And many of you know that one of the customs in those days, in dealing, anytime you're dealing with around any Romans of any sort, one of the things they love to do is tie on a dead man to a man that's in prison and let him carry him around. You'll read in his epistles about this death that's on me. It's just a reminder to the prisoners, look where you're headed. He was motivated by fear. But the interesting thing was that he's writing from prison and he's content. I've got to get out of this place. I need to be out of this place. That wasn't what he said. That's not what he said. See, life really doesn't consist of the things that you and I possess. You may feel that it does, but it really doesn't. Because the bed that you sleep in will be at goodwill tomorrow. And the shirts that you have will be passed down or thrown away. The car that you drive will be sold. Everything you own is borrowed. You own nothing. You own nothing. You don't even own the hair on your head because your pillow is getting more of it every morning. You own nothing. Think about that, though. I don't say that to be smart. I'm very serious. God's not impressed with our, 
our possessions, our accomplishments. You know what pleases the Lord? Is our obedience and our faithfulness to Him. That's what pleases Him. Luke 12, 15, And He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what you own. You go and you visit other countries or what have you. You go and you do mission work or you go and, and visit a relative. You go somewhere and you find people that may have less than you have, materially speaking, and they seem happier than you are. That's sort of foreign to me. Boy, you ought to be upset, man. My wife has a friend that served as a missionary in Papua New Guinea. I'll never forget the story my wife told me of when the friend came back to the States and went in a grocery store on a cereal aisle and saw a hundred different types and cried because all they had was one. I go to the cereal aisle and I'm just like, I don't know what, I love this and I love that. and It's amazing, we're just overtaken with it. We're just overtaken with it or overcome with it. But if you think about this, and I want you to, 1 Timothy 6, 8 says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we ought to be content. See, this is the interesting thing we're going to be looking at, and I want you, if you would please look with me, and if you would, please stand, if you would. Let's look in Philippians 4, and I'm going to be looking in verse 10, 11, 12, and 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And now, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Please be seated. So let's pray this morning. Father, in the name of Christ, please forgive my pride. Lord, please allow me to sit down and please stand up. And please speak through me. Please close my mouth when it's time, and please open it. Please, Lord, allow me to share, and if these notes are a distraction, then please guide me. In Jesus' name, amen. It's, it's interesting, I, I'm, I'm taken by certain words here, though I'm speaking on contentment this morning, and it may sound like it's topical, we will look in Bibles, I don't typically care to share a sermon with you, and then you can close your Bible and listen to me. Let's sort of make sure we hold true here and stay here. Otherwise, that's where we start veering off, you know. And, but, and I just want to, I'm, I'm, I'm a wordsmith. I love to look at words. There's wording in here that is beautiful in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I have learned... Learn the secret of being content. The learning indicates that it's a learning by experience. 
It's not something, hop, I got it today. I got contentment today, folks. Hallelujah. No, it is learned by experience. That's how we, that's how we do that. And he learned to live above his circumstances by going through good and difficult times. Don't pray away difficult times. Don't pray away those times. Learn from those times. As Warren Wiersbe said, the lady said in line at the church when she just lost her husband, and he said, I'm praying for you, sister. She said, pray that I don't waste this moment. Don't pray it away. Learn from it. God has you in a desert at the moment. He has you in a knee in a period of want, possibly in a period of need right now. It's a great time to learn. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Because it sure is easy to forget about him when everything's going well and you got enough in the checking account, you know. Please think about that. The word content, though, is an interesting word. It means to be entirely self-sufficient or independent of external circumstances. It was used to describe a country that was totally, that was totally self-sufficient and had no need of any imports. Totally. So think about that. Our sufficiency is in Christ. Folks, I'll just tell you, okay, I love my family. Follow me now. I don't need them. I need Christ. I just need air to breathe. Now, I'm not minimizing family, so please don't underestimate what I'm saying here. I need Christ. I love my family and don't want to leave them. And I want to I wanna be here till I'm 105 or 50, and I want to surpass all, all uh, age and freak everybody out by living super old, but so that I want her to live old too, though, so we can grow old together and be mean and cantankerous and all that kind of good stuff. I'll lose teeth and hair and whatever, and I don't know, all that good stuff, you know. But I need Christ, though. I need him every moment. Honestly, please, again, I don't need her to preach now. I need Christ. We need Christ. We are dependent on Christ. I am. Christ lives in me. My identification is not in Todd. It is now in Christ. My identification is not in my family. It is in Christ. I was talking to Elizabeth, my daughter, one day. She was talking about how do you know when you need the Lord? And I said, well, the interesting thing about needing the Lord is I love to hear, I love this illustration Think about how it felt that time that maybe some of you that's learned how to swim, when you, maybe you went a little too deep. You know, Daryl and I are thinking about these pools. He knows about lifeguarding and all that good stuff. And I grew up around pools and jumping off that diving board. I remember the first time I jumped off a high dive, I was scared to death. Interesting thing about it, though. I was praying as I was going down in my mind going, please let me hit the bottom so I can push up quick. Because when you're coming up, your lungs are screaming for oxygen. When you realize that you have nothing but Christ and you want Christ like you want oxygen, that's when it's time. Let's don't just try Christ on today for kicks and put him on as a coat. 
He is who we are. He is all that we have. So please think about that. But contentment today is viewed as a human achievement. The Greeks viewed it as that. It's a human achievement. It, though, as a Christian, you realize it's a gift from God. See, I love it that God has made our hearts restless. I love that he's made us restless. 1 Timothy 6, 6, But godliness with contentment is great, great gain. It's that inner sufficiency that we don't need. I don't need more money. That's I may want more, but really? See, I want to talk with you this morning and share with you a few things, but I think a helpful discipline that the Lord has taught me. Have I learned it? <laughs> no, not, not in the least. But maybe you can help me learn it. A helpful discipline and contentment is distinguishing between needs and wants. And those have blended in our country now. The commercials remind you, you don't want this toothpaste. You need it. You've got to have it. You've got to have this car. You've got to have this. You've got to have that. You don't. You don't have to. But that's what our culture is teaching us, though. And it's sad because that's the way advertising works. And the yearning for material riches is what's the dangerous part. He's, Paul is not condemning here, and I want to tell you, he's not condemning material wealth. You look in Scripture, and you look at Abraham, and you look at Job, and you look at King David, and these men were wealthy men, Solomon, but they seemed to control what they had. Paul is saying, learn to be content with food and clothing, which are basic needs. You don't need, we don't need most of the stuff that we have. So, and I love this, this one part, and I'm going to focus on it here. And, and I love what he says here, verse 12, I know how to be brought low and how to abound. So, I want you to think about this for a moment now. It's believed in history, in church history, that Paul came from a wealthy family from the tribe of Benjamin. We know that to be true. Being trained under Gamaliel, according to Acts 22, would have been costly of who you were trained under. And so when things tend to go rough for Christians, they tend to, as what one man said, whine and pine and recline. We tend to gripe and grumble. We tend to gossip. We tend to just be very discontent people. But I want you to understand as we talk this morning about what is it about how we can become content. We see that we are going to find contentment in Scripture. You will find contentment in nothing else. Charles Spurgeon said, I love this quote, You say if I had a little more I should be very satisfied. He said, You make a mistake. If you're not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. True. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So rather than living lives of grateful contentment, we're filled oftentimes with complaining. Complaining because I need this, I need that, I don't like him having this, I need that, I need this, I deserve this. We complain about our homes and... When thousands have no home, we complain about our cars. When there's some that's never had a car, 
We complain about jobs when people don't have a job. So, please notice now, number one, I want you to notice we are to be glad. We're to be glad. What do you mean be glad? I want us to please look in verse 10 and then in verse 12. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I rejoiced. I'm glad that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. But you had no opportunity. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low and how to abound. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. We need to be glad in what we do have. Think about it for a minute. I know it sounds pretty basic, but be glad in what we do have. 1 Timothy 6, 7, and 8, For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of the world. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Don't you think God knows your needs? I'm not talking about wants. Don't you think God knows your needs? Paul had needs. You read 2 Timothy. I'm sure that he sneezed and he scratched. He got cold and hungry, living in a prison with a dead man strapped onto him. Wow, really? What tends to go with... Death, flies, smell, rottenness. We all have material needs. We all have need of food and shelter and clothing. And I know and you know that God knows this. And the very fact that you're here is evidence that you're okay. You're okay. Matthew six thirty two for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Don't you think God knows what you need? Don't doubt that God knows what you need. Be glad in what you do have. And yes, God is going to meet our needs in very unusual ways. He may send it directly. I mean, let's look at, you look at the life of Elijah, and I mean, let's face it, he may feed you with birds. That's a rather odd way, but hey. He could send it from heaven like manna. That's great too. But he also may choose to use someone like the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17 where a lady is dying and has nothing else and she's ministering. That's amazing. Yeah, he may meet your needs through other people. Notice the wording here now, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Notice this. You were concerned for me, but you did not have an opportunity to help me. You didn't have that opportunity to help me before. They had lacked opportunity. They've now given him a gift. He's had need of it, and God has used this people to now have all of a sudden an opportunity to help out. Like flowers in the spring after a long, cold winter. Paul was on their heart. They acted. What prompted them? God prompted them. It wasn't some noble thought. You know what? I think we need to give this guy, Paul, some, some, a gift, some money. God prompted them. God is the one that prompts us. We need to be glad in what we do have, regardless of what God provides. Rejoice in it. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And really, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret. A plenty and of hunger, abundance and need. I've learned, I have learned it. He says it. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money 
and be content in what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So think about this for just a moment. In Paul's day, the state did not support prisoners. The prisoners supported themselves or their family or friends came and helped them. The state didn't go, okay, uh, we see that you need some back surgery. Okay, we're going to pay for that. Take care of it. All right. Okay, we see that you have need of clothes. Okay, we're going to buy you some clothes with the tax dollars. Didn't work that way. The state did not do this. I'm not knocking that now. I'm saying then the state did not support prisoners. The prisoners and their families and friends supported the prisoners. So he's learned how to be in want, and he's learned how to be hungry. He's learned how to be full. He's learned either way. He has learned. And so it was up to the prisoners themselves. Paul had no visible means of support at the time, and so he was cast wholly upon the Lord. So the Lord's people in Philippi sent a financial gift to Paul. It wasn't their first, because if you notice here, I rejoice, verse 10, and the Lord greatly that now at length you have, what is the word there? Revived. What is that literally highlighting the fact that your version may say, flourished again. They had already done this once, and they've done it again now, and he's so thankful it wasn't the one-time love offering. They, they have done this before. So he was so happy. <clears throat> but we live in a day now, folks, where it is so easy to learn how... Now, follow me. It's much easier to learn how to do without than to have money. You've heard it. Give a man power and you will see corruption take over. Most leaders cannot handle power. Most people cannot handle money. If you don't believe me, look at especially the lives of these uh, celebrities of these days. They can't handle it. And very few of them are, say, like Herschel Walker. Sorry if you don't like Georgia. I'm sorry. Very few are like Herschel Walker and others who have actually done something with their money and with their life and put it to good use. They have squandered everything they've ever owned because most of us don't know that secret there in verse 12. I know how to be brought low, but I know how to abound. Most of us could not handle winning the lottery. Forget playing it. That's another issue. Most of us couldn't handle winning it. And so he says, I've learned that secret in being glad in what we do have. But also, I want you to see that, number two, we should also be restful. Folks, be restful in your current situation. Be restful. I am convinced that Satan uses the little knife and poker of discontentment to keep us constantly looking for something more, something else. I'm convinced of that. Because it doesn't seem bad, right? To do better, to make more, to prosper. It doesn't really seem better. It doesn't mean you're worshiping. But be restful. 
So Paul is a content man with a dead man most likely strapped to his back. And he's in jail. He's not fretting. He's not fuming. And in a difficult situation, he's content. What does it mean to not be content? Let me tell you. I don't know about y'all. I can't tell you how many times in a day I gripe and complain. Forget a week. A day. Maybe it's y'all. Maybe it's my family. I don't know. This, we're always discontent. We're, we're never, we never find this restful place of where we have God has put us. I'll never forget when I went into the ministry, the first thing I wanted to do was I want to preach. I just want to preach. I got to preach. I got to preach. Forget helping folks. Forget doing stuff around the church. I got to preach. I got to get up there and I got to preach. And I'll never forget, an old pastor said to me one day, he says, Todd, you have got to learn to bloom where you were planted, my friend. You have got to learn to bloom where you are currently planted. Be content. Be restful where you are. Learn from this moment. If not, and you're looking for tomorrow and what God's going to give you, you're going to miss a lesson for today. And one thing I've learned about the Lord in my life, when you miss this lesson, you're going to come back to it. You will come back to that lesson. But I, I like the wording here in the being restful here is, it's not about being self-satisfied. I, don't, I am never saying that we should settle for less. I, I don't think that's right. I think that we can be, and Christians should be ambitious. I think that we can be and still be right with the Lord. I don't think we need to be satisfied to be an errand boy when you can be president. If God's given you gifts, you need to exercise those gifts. Students, don't be satisfied with C's and D's. Strive for A's. Don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied in... Just casual Christianity. Or as Chuck Swindoll said many years ago, living above the level of mediocrity. Don't be a mediocre Christian. Don't just get by. I just want to be married. I'm not, forget being a good husband, good dad. I just want to be married. I'm just, you know, nothing great, nothing abusive, just married. What? Really? I promise you my wife would not have married me had I told her that before. Think about this. Don't just be satisfied in just what you can do. Strive and do well. I think God wants us to attempt to prosper and to do well and to be great at everything that we do so that people will take notice that it's Christ in us. And when they come to you and go, what is it that motivates you to do good work? You can go, let me tell you. Let me tell you. I don't think it's a self-sufficiency to be uh, enough in oneself. You know, uh, listen, listen, I'm not here to attack everybody, but I don't make, my wife will tell you, I don't make bones about it. The Norman Vincent Peels and the Joel Osteens of the world are guiding people straight to the pit. So I'm sorry if you read guideposts. That's fine. Happy stories. You know what? You can do that in Reader's Digest. All right? The idea here, and I'm not here on that, that soapbox against those, I am saying that if someone is not going to stand up and tell you what sin is and tell you that you're a sinner and tell you that you need to stay away from sin, to shun sin, to embrace the Savior, or you're going to hell, let me tell you, they're guiding you to hell. Folks, the truth does hurt. 
But the truth sure sets you free, doesn't it? That's the wonderful thing. You need the truth. I need the truth. I don't want to go to a doctor and go, you know what? <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing okay, man. Uh, but there is this little cancer word, but I, we, we won't talk about that. You just go and, and, what? I need the truth. So, contentment was one of the highest, as I said, Greek qualities. They thought it was amazing that you could be content. But see, we've learned as Christians that only Christ can make us content. It's really a self-surrender is how we become restful, a self-surrender, literally. It, it, the idea is to be self-contained, to have all that we have needed within us. I don't need anything but Christ. I need to read the Word of God more. I need to memorize the Word of God more. You know what, though? I, I, love, um, I love reading about the Bible. I love reading about church history. I love reading Christian biographies. But then I read the Word of God and I just read. But then I get excited about a new book coming in the mail. I just got one this week uh, about our founding fathers and the, and the political structure and their faith. And I'm excited, but then I need to read the Bible, so I'll go ahead and read it. Folks, you better fight that. You better fight it you better stamp it out. I'm not saying, hey, I love books. They're great. You'll hear in a minute how much I love them. But you need to love the Word of God above all books. You need to cherish it. You need to eat it, digest it. The Word will become at times bitter. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Romans 12, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, how are you going to know what's right? How are you going to know what's right except the Word of God? We don't need the Word of God. Really? Why? Then why are you here? Folks, we need to be restful in where the Lord has placed us. But the last point that I want to highlight in this section is we need to be mindful of our strength. Uh, Paul doesn't say, uh, he doesn't say in verse 13, I can't do all things. That's the language of depression, misery. We hear this kind of talk here where we can't grow, I can't witness, I can't memorize Scripture, I just can't memorize. Really? How'd you get here to church? Do you know that everything you do is based on memory? Everything. Do you know that they, they've shown that the body even chews food based on memory? Memory. That's why you will often see those that suffer from Alzheimer's, they get to where they can't even chew. They have strength. They just don't. It just starts to leave them. So don't say you can't memorize Scripture. Yes, you can. Because the very people that say they can't memorize Scripture are the very same people that can tell me what every Atlanta Braves' batting average is. They can, they can tell me what every show and every episode of what everything was about and when it comes on and what channel it's on. They know. So don't say you can't memorize. You choose not to memorize Scripture. Let's be honest. You choose not to. Uh, I haven't memorized Scripture because I've chosen not to. That's why we do this. 
So he didn't say in verse 13, I can't do. But, but, notice, but notice this now, verse uh, 13 again. Now follow me. He also doesn't just say, I can do it. That's just opinion. Oh, I can run my own life. I don't need God. I don't need church or the Bible. I'm the captain of my own soul, the master of my own fate. Reminds me of Luke 12. I remember reading in my early Christian walk, D.L. Moody's book, Thou Fool. I will never forget reading it, and it shook me. I was saved. But he talks about the rich man in Luke 12, and he's going to build this barn, and he's going to build this barn, and he's going to make his barns bigger, and everything's going to work out beautiful. And, and the whole he, he painted a picture, and the man's talking about how he can build his barns and, and make everything bigger and store more stuff and buy and sell more. And, and his wife comes to him and says, Come on, honey, it's time for bed. He goes, No, I've got to look over these plans and build bigger, bigger barns. I've got to have more stuff. I've got to have more. And... Okay, I'll come to bed shortly. She goes to bed, and he's looking over these plans of all these great warehouses he's building, and in his mood he puts it, and he starts to drift off, and all of a sudden this cold hand hits his shoulder and says, Thou fool, thy soul is required of thee tonight. Death grabs that fool. Paul doesn't say, I can do it like that man did. Paul then says, verse 13, I can through Christ. That's authority. That's, that's dynamic Christian life right there. That means victory over every temptation. Yeah. He gives us the power to cope. He gives us the power to enjoy contentment, to be glad and be restful, but be mindful of where we are in this life and who has the strength. You have nothing. One of the most sobering things in ministry by far, and I'm sure our pastor would say the same thing. It Seriously, it, it is, and I say this to be very frank with you, is to be by the bedside of someone passing away. It's sobering. And you will find out how much strength the person has when that happens. You will find who their strength is in, but you will find out how feeble and frail this body is. Folks, I don't know about you. As I mentioned to you two weeks ago, now having diabetes and all, I'm, I'm seeing now how feeble and frail my body really is. Because you know what? We're returning to the grave. But that's so negative, isn't it? You know what? And it's so true. It is so true. We're returning to that grave. And so the idea is that I can't do anything or I can. No, it's I can through Christ. That is really the secret there. That's the secret to this. I can through Christ. So I want you to think about this now. And we've got a couple of things that I want us to look at and then we're done. Okay. We've got a few musts that we must do. Number one, we must focus on what God has already allowed us to have. This involves counting the blessings that you have sitting with you right now and being thankful to the Lord for each and every gift that you already have. Folks, you don't understand the breath that you have just inhaled while listening to me is a gift from God. 
You don't believe me? Talk to somebody with emphysema. It's a gift from God. Daniel Webster, I love reading about Mr. Webster. He stated, if you want to feel rich, just count all the things that you have that money cannot buy. Money cannot buy. Use the Lord's provisions that He has given you with a grateful heart. Use them for His glory. Help other people in need. Yes. There's such a movement today of of the social gospel. We've got to go out and feed the hungry. We've got to go out here. And let me tell you what. You can go and feed the hungry, and if you don't tell him about Christ, he's not saved. He's going to hell with a full belly. Amen. It's not enough just to go and tell a young girl why abortion's wrong. Tell her about the Savior. It's not enough to stop the social ills to cure AIDS. AIDS is not the disease we need to deal with. It's sin that we need to worry about that all of us are infected with. All of us have the AIDS of sin in a sense. I'm not minimizing AIDS. I am saying we're all dying. And you better deal with the main one. So we have to direct our focus on what the Lord's already allowed us to have. You've heard the phrase Jim Elliott said, but think about it. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he can't keep his life to gain salvation that he can't lose. I love the idea of eternal security. It's It's a tough doctrine. I've had people come up to me, you don't believe you can... Remain saved all your life, and once saved, always saved. You better believe I do. Of course I do. Did Christ die for all sin? Or just till I commit this one sin? Where is saved and not saved? Where is that line? Find it for me. You won't find it. Because if Christ didn't die for all sin, then we're following a cult. Christ died for our sin. How can we read in Scripture and have peace if you're never sure that you're really saved? How do you do that? Eternal security is huge. Because what happens is, when you find someone that believes you can lose your salvation, then that means they believe Christ didn't die for all sin. If Christ didn't die for all sin, folks, you really do have a cult on your hands. You've got to think about this deductively. So that is the wonderful thing that I'm thankful that we can't lose what he's given me. Well, you say, well, you mean to tell me you can go and live like a devil? You know what? You don't want to live like a devil once you're saved. The fellowship is messed up. The relationship never changes. The relationship is still there. My, I have an older son. If he were to, I hope, I hope I never have to say this, but if he were to go and kill someone, is he still my son? Of course he is. Is my fellowship with him messed up? Of course it is. Until he does what? Dad, please forgive me. Our fellowship, just like with our father. We must direct our focus on what God has already allowed us to have. Also, though, number two, I want you to see this. We must disregard what we don't have. Disregard what we don't have. 
Men are rich in that they're already God's creation. Men are richer in what they can do without. E. Stanley Jones was a Methodist missionary. I loved what he told a man that came to stay with him. He tells a a poverty-stricken man that came to stay with him. He stopped in for the night and asked, could he have a, a bed to sleep in? And Stanley Jones said, sure. He escorts him out to the hayloft in the barn. That's a long time ago. And he says to the man who is poverty-stricken, if there's anything that you want, let me know, and I will come and show you how to get along without it. You're just going to have to learn. I'm going to have to learn to disregard the things that we do not have. There's so much we think we really need that we can really do without. No, I'm not saying go home now and throw out the TV and throw out. No, it's not what I'm saying. But disregard and and forget about the things you don't have. Don't worry about that stuff. Our focus is not so much what we may secure, but what we are able to enjoy life without having. And you ever notice as you start to multiply the stuff that you get, we begin, it starts multiplying the cares of the world. You think about that. The more you get, the more troubles you've got. Let's face it, more money alone makes IRS. Boy, they put a bullseye on you. I'm sorry if y'all work for the IRS. Folks, we have more to worry about, and that's what prevents us. We need to be careful because we'll start running after this false satisfaction when you start chasing stuff. That's why I need one more. I've never met a dope addict or an alcoholic that said, whew, all right, I've had, enough, I've had enough liquor, I've had enough drink, I've had enough dope, I've had enough this, I've had enough that. I'm, I'm content now. I finally hit it. I hit it. It's always a little bit more I need, just a little bit more, just one more. Just one more. Just a little, just a little bit. One more dollar. Just all I need is one more. I heard a dope addict tell me a few years ago, he said it's like when he first took his first use of a certain drug, he said the, the euphoric high that he got was something that he was chasing the rest of his life that he never caught. You're always looking for that excitement. Oh, your marriage is a little dull. That excitement, though, happens at work. When somebody talks to you at the coffee pot and, wow, that excitement wells up within me again. No, make it excitement at home and kill that at work. Because I promise you, Satan has always got somebody there just to make you feel so pretty and so fulfilled. Watch out. Watch out. It's dangerous. You ever thought about it, wondered about it? How many in the church as a whole, not here but overall, are just at the point of divorce, just at that point, right there? How many are just at that point of an affair? Just right there. Careful. Satan is right there to give you all you need. You ever notice? Good Christians wouldn't behave that way. But then he's the one to put it in front of you, though. What a liar he is. One thing I long for is to see him thrown in the lake of fire. That's going to be a day of hallelujah. So... Last thing, we must direct our focus on what God's already allowed us to have. We must disregard what we don't have. And lastly, I want us to think about this for just a moment, is we must decide to refuse to covet what other people have. 
We've got to stop coveting what other people have. Folks, the most important question in regard to our contentment, to our happiness, is not what things do I possess, but it is what possesses us. It's not about what you possess, but what possesses you. That's why I said it's so hard for people to learn to really have something because they can't handle it. For wealth has a tendency to create a thirst for more and more and more and more. And leaves the prosperous person weary and never able to enjoy. That keeping up with the Joneses, you don't think it's prevalent in church? Let me just go ahead and tell you, it is. As a member and as a former pastor, it's very prevalent. Ladies, you think you don't look, see what other women are wearing? <laughs> you know you do. We all do. We got. I remember one time when I was pastoring, I had a lady came to me, and I wore a tie. Within, two, uh, within three weeks, I wore a tie two times, and she said, Preacher, you know you wore that a couple weeks ago. Wow. The point I'm getting at is you think that keeping up with the Joneses and not watching what everybody else is doing and trying to measure up, you think that makes you feel better. It won't. It's a trap. It is that little gerbil in the houses that we all had in the 70s. And he gets on that wheel, man. He's just going to town. And that thing's just going. He's going nowhere, but he's going. He's tearing it up. Let me tell you, that's where keeping up with the Joneses will get you. Nowhere. Nowhere. It's exhausted many a person. So I close by telling you, I was reading this week um, some letters from Ezra Stiles. He was the president of Yale University and a, a theologian, and he was writing to Benjamin Franklin as Benjamin Franklin was dying. And go ahead and let you know, if you want to read, Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian unless the Lord saved him at the very end. Because he says, I have great problems believing in the deity of Christ. I think he's good and a worthy man to follow, morally speaking. But an interesting thing, though, that I did like what Benjamin Franklin said when Ezra Stiles was writing to him. Benjamin Franklin said this about contentment. This really got me. He said, contentment makes poor men rich. Discontentment makes rich men poor. If you're discontent, I don't care how much you have, you're a poor man. But I promise you, if you're a content person, I don't care how much you have, you're a rich person. So I ask you this morning, and I want you to think about this. What is it you say, if I had this, I would be happy? I promise you, that thought has probably entered your thought life this week. If I had this, I would be happy. If I had this, I would be, it, it would fix me up. I had it. I'll, I'll go and tell you, I did. I already did. You know what mine was? I'll tell you. I'll confess it. How do you tell me why? If I had $100 more in the bank, I would, I would just, I'd feel a little better. No, I wouldn't. Because you know what? I'd already find something on Amazon to buy. Sorry, Mark. I know Mark sells at Amazon. Sorry. But I would always, I'd think about something else. I've got to learn. I have to learn these. I have to learn them. So where is it you are in this? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Christ, please help us. Help me.
To find my contentment, to find our contentment in what you have already done on the cross. Lord, forgive us for trying to please you and think we can earn your favor when the favor has already been bestowed on us because of the cross. I am thankful, Lord, that you love us that 100% even when we sin. But Lord, help us to keep that short list with you. May we stay in good fellowship with you, seeking forgiveness constantly, and forgive our restless hearts for the things of this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.